Welcome to Love's Everyday Radius, a podcast brought to you by the Hoffman Institute. My name is Sharon Moore, and I'm one of your hosts. And on this podcast, we talk to Hoffman graduates about how their courageous journey inward impacted their personal lives, but also how it impacted their community and the world at large. So tune in and listen in and hear how our graduates' authentic selves, how their love, how their spirits are making a positive impact on our world today. In other words, get to know their love's everyday radius. All right, welcome back everyone. Today, my guest is Karen DeGans. Now, Karen, of course, is a graduate of the process, and I first heard Karen in a Hoffman Sacred Circle. And I tell you, the minute I heard her speak, the minute she opened her mouth, I knew I wanted to know her. I've since, of course, been lucky enough to have gotten to know her, and she is most definitely one of the most resilient and bold and interesting women I've met. So without further ado, I want to invite her to the show. Karen, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sharon. It's so nice to be here. I was just going to tell you that. I'm so happy that you are here. So, um, you know, we had a chance to speak a couple weeks ago, and I, I remember you in the sacred circle, and I remember thinking, oh, who is that? I, I really want to know her. So I felt very lucky when I got that invitation to, to connect with you. And I'd love to just start from the beginning. We're here at a Hoffman podcast, and I'd love to know what was it that drew you to uh, be a participant in the Hoffman process? I have a very cherished friend who was a life coach at the time who was familiar with the, the Hoffman process. And as part of the coaching work that we were doing, we got to a point where he just said to me, "Um, when are you going to show up? (laughs) And I was surprised when he asked me the question. And um, I didn't really want to answer because, of course, I wasn't showing up. But it was so real uh, that he asked, and he ended up suggesting that this is something that I should do, that I should try the process. And Sharon, what's interesting is I actually signed up before I actually did the process in 2007. I signed up for the process, paid the deposit, and then never, never followed up initially. So... Maybe a year or so later, I was in the Caribbean, where I'm from, running my business, recognizing that there was something missing for me, and it was showing up. You know, business was going well, but there was a sort of emptiness inside of me. And I decided, I remembered the conversation that I had with this colleague, who's also my coach, and I decided that, okay, this time I'm going to do it. So I called him and I said, I'm ready. And I reached out to Hoffman and got myself signed up and flew back up to the United States (laughs) and got there to do the process. And this time showed up. And this time showed up. (laughs) So when he said that to you, I imagine he was speaking metaphorically. What what do you think was going on? Was he accurate in getting a sense that you weren't showing up? 
Yes, and let's name the thing, right? Uh, I'm, I'm taking this other course right now on authentic communication. And showing up is about authenticity. It's about being fully who we are and being fully who I am. And I think when he asked me, when am I going to show up? I think that's what he was asking about. And when I say authenticity, I'm not saying I was putting him on or not being upfront or honest with him about what was going on in my company at the time or in my life. I think this is about authenticity on a deeper level and being connected to self. And I think that's why the process was so excellent for me because it was all about and continues to be all about that deep-rooted connection to self. Do you have a way of knowing, ooh, right now I am connected to self. Ooh, right now I'm not connected. Yes. I believe that, and it's not even belief, I'm listening to the words I'm saying, connection to self is something that I can feel. And I think it's about self-awareness. And it's about pausing and slowing down to be connected and centered enough. And in my life, when I look back, I can always tell those moments that were really important where I wasn't connected to self. The moments that were important where I wasn't connected to self. Yes. Tell me more. They're so impactful, both when both when we are, but also when we're not. And I don't want to cast the lack of connection to self as necessarily a bad thing because they have been really significant moments of learning for me and and transformation, moments that signaled transformation. But when I think about the things in my life that have been most difficult and challenging because of how I met them, It's not so much that those events happened. It's my experience of how, of the consequences of them happening or how they happened that has everything to do with my ability to be connected to self or to have been connected to self in those moments. Does that make sense? Oh boy, does it. Absolutely. It's, um, one of the key things we do in the process is we, we take a moment to acknowledge, hey, we can't change the events, the circumstances that happen in our lives, but we can most definitely change how we show up for them. And here you just told me, it's not the events themselves, it's how I met them. I also like that you mentioned that, if I heard you correctly, that in the moments where you were not, to use your coach's word, showing up authentically. It seemed like that was an invitation for transformation. Did I get that right? Yes, absolutely. Those are delicious moments. Well, I think it takes a special person like yourself to use those moments as invitations to transformation, right? Not not all of us are you know, sometimes there's some fear involved in that or some hardships involved in that. So, you know, when I hear that, I, I immediately know I'm in the presence of somebody who had the courage to do the work. 
Are you, are you comfortable sharing with us an example of one of these moments that was a moment where you weren't showing up as your whole authentic self and then it turned into a transformation for you? There are so many. Perhaps one that I will share that was directly linked to me saying, okay, I will sign up and take this, go through this process now. Uh, I had a business in the Caribbean. Uh, we were doing well. We were in the midst of doing uh, something that's very a very normal part of business, which is bidding on major projects. And I had put a lot of work into building a new partnership with a European firm who would who agreed to team with us for a pretty substantial project. And we put in about I want to say a month of work putting together the tender. For, for this project, the, the proposal for the project. And so on the very last day when the proposal is due, we get the proposal done. I give it to the driver. And he, it's, this is not about the driver. This is about me. I, get, I know I live there. I know what the road and traffic conditions can be like. I give the proposal to the driver and he gets to to the office where the tender has to be the proposal needed to be submitted two minutes after the deadline. And so not only do I let myself down and my company and the staff in in my own company who did all this work on this, we worked night and day on it. But I also let down these partners who I spent all this time cultivating relationships with, building trust. And of course, when you're putting together a technical tender on a major project um, and you've put in a month of work, it's marketing. So it's, it's, you know, it's not free, but it's uncompensated work on the presumption that you're going to compete and you'll have a good chance of recouping that. And so... When the driver called and told me he did not get there on time, I, it never occurred to me to even consider that this was about him. I recognized that there was something going on in me, that this is how I was showing up in my own business. And this is how I was showing up um, for the people who were relying on me, who I reached out cultivated relationships with and then disappointed because I didn't deliver on my end. And I was so distraught and dis and you know unhappy with myself about it. I remember even now I can vis I can remember like it was yesterday that I just I took to my bed. <laughs> I went and lay in the bed and I I at the time, couldn't get myself to cry about it, but I was just upset. And in that moment, I said, this is not going to work because my coach had asked me about showing up. And this was a literal not showing up, not showing up for myself, not showing up for the, the people who teamed with me and did work not showing up for the team 
And at that moment, I decided, okay, this is not going to do. I cannot go forward without going and doing this process, whatever, whatever it turns out to be. Unpacking what it is that's causing me to not show up. Well, I, I'm, I'm struck by your ability in real time to not, to, 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 you said, I recognize it's me. Here, this whole thing just fell apart. You put a month of uncompensated, heartfelt, everybody's on board work into this proposal two minutes late. And you just told me that you immediately recognized it was something in you. That, that again, that says something about who you are. But I'm also curious, was this a thematic thing? Had, had these kind of things happened over and over again in life? And this was the one that, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back? Or was there something else that led you to start to look inward in that very moment? I believe that there were other forms of not showing up. But this, this one definitely broke the camel's back because... I had never had this form of not showing up before. This was so consequential. I had to call and tell my colleagues that I did not get it in on time. I had to accept the consequences of not getting it in on time for not just this particular uh, tender that we were doing together, but for our relationships going forward. And this was not just one person, because we had worked over the course of a month. You know, we had built a team already. So I'm not able to, in this moment, give specific other moments leading up to it that were forms of not showing up, but I'm certain that they're there. And I realized that when I don't show up for myself, I'm not available to be there for anyone else either. And perhaps that is the theme. Usually the not showing up, the consequences are not so stark as they were for that particular instance. But I knew that I had to make a change. I had to do something different. And that was the process. Wow. You know, you did that. I don't know how long ago this was, and it sounds like there's uh, somewhat of a theme of of really not showing up for yourself and then all these symptoms of it being reflected back to you, whether it be this team or this partnership or personal relationships. And you have now narrowed it down to, well, this is happening when I don't show up for myself. And so you came and did the process and what has shifted so far in how you show up for yourself? When I came to the process, I had given up I, I grew up in a Catholic family in the Caribbean. And because of the experience that I had after, you know, moving to the United States um, of being a Catholic person of color in the United States, I had an early experience that made me question my commitment to this faith, this organized religion. And it, it's very simple. I went to Mass at the Cathedral in Washington, D.C. It was a sign of peace. I put my hand out like I, oh, I did 
growing up and we are a Catholic family all together in that church and I expected someone would wholeheartedly shake my hand for the hand of the sign of peace and that didn't happen. And um, anyway, I don't, I don't want that to become the conversation. But I had gone through a long process of separating myself out from that organized religion that I grew up with, which was, was something I cherished. It was part of my, it's part of my family, my culture. And so along with giving up religion, I had also given up any form of spiritual life. And so coming to the process, one of the first things that I think I got back was the recognition that, oh, I, I have a spiritual self. She's still there. She hasn't gone anywhere. I just have to listen for her. I recognize that she has always been there. But I wasn't listening. I wasn't available. That was the very first thing that I got out of the process. That very first day, sitting sitting there <laughs> uh, with my arms folded. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know the type. I know the type. <laughs> Thinking that, oh, no, I, this, I'm not sure this is going to work for me. Or I'm waiting to hear where I can find the chink in the armor that will open it up and make it so that I can walk away from this. Uh, but that's not what happened. I recognized spirit, and um, that opened the door for me. Again, in the, in, the, in the brief times that I've shared with you, I can't imagine a version of you not connected to your spirit. It feels so strong to me. Thank you, Sharon. That's kind of you. <laughs> well, in, in a way, it, it breaks my heart to imagine, if I heard you right, to imagine a certain phase of your life where you weren't listening to what I see as such a strong part of you today, your spirit. And I, it's interesting that you refer to it as strong, and I, I so appreciate that. And, you know, the process was the opening of a doorway for me. And I wish I could tell you that after doing the process, she lived happily ever after. She found her spirit. She could hear her and she lived happily, happily ever after. But that's, that's not what happened. And so life has been this journey of unfolding. And in the moment of of having done Hoffman, that op yes, that opened the door to spirit and opened the opened up the possibilities of a kind of self awareness that I don't think I fully had before. And when I say self awareness, deep understanding of the self and, and an empathy for the self and an understanding of where the places that were closed off because I needed to be safe and strong enough to keep going forward. Understanding of where those came from. Understanding of the places that I had closed off. Understanding and having compassion for that girl who 
did the best she could by building that armor and being strong and marching forward. And I'm very proud of her. I love her. But when we fast forward to today, the place where I have arrived on that journey that is linked to spirit as well is a recognition of not needing to effort in order to protect the wounded places and seeing the wounded places as a source of, as a, a gold mine or a mine or a diamond mine, <laughs> mine, real rich resources for doing all the amazing things that I want to do with my life. Um, I think uh, Brene Brown uh, talks about this in her book, The Gifts of Imperfection, because these things really are treasures. They are gifts. And I think the other big thing that I have gotten out of the process that has a different meaning for me today is that listening to spirit, being spirit-led, spirit-guided, is actually, how shall I say it? There, there's no efforting required. It's there. It's quiet. I, I think when we spoke two weeks ago, Sharon, I was telling you about the journey I had last year and how I look back in awe that I was so close to not surviving because of the state of my health and how absolutely clear I was because I was present. I didn't have a choice but to be present from moment to moment because that was the nature of the condition that I was in. And the thing that I realized that was that that vitality, that will to live, is a very, at least the experience I had of it last year, was a very persistent but very gentle energy. Very, it, it wasn't force. I didn't have to will it to be. It just was. And so where I am in the process is I'm re-having uh, done the process and I think either one or two Q2s in the process. I'm in a place where I am coming to a whole new understanding of the process from the lens of where I am today. Wow. So much to say. Uh, I, I know as uh, Hoffman teachers, we often say, let, let, the, let this work do its thing. It's not overnight. Give it 18 months. But what I time and time again hear is how it's an ever-evolving, ever-deepening journey, to use your word, journey of unfolding. And I think it's beautiful that you say you land in a place of effortlessness, even in a moment of almost losing your life. Very clear-minded, vibrant. It's, it, wasn't, it didn't feel like survival mode. I know survival mode. I've been there. It was just living in the moment, being. It was a very gentle vibrant energy. And I, I just marveled at it. I still do. I 
that was new? Uh, I'm recalling, um, if you're comfortable sharing, I'm recalling you shared so many beautiful things. And one of the moments that stuck out for me was when you were calling to get the nurse. And this was, of course, during the time of COVID. Are you comfortable sharing that? Yeah, sure. There's so much of it. <sighs> so I don't know how to, sh to speak about it without telling the whole story. But as you know, um, the condition that I had was such that I, I ended up needing to have IV fluids on a daily basis in order to stay alive. This was during the time that we had the first shutdown during COVID. And it was not safe for me to go to an ER to get IV treatments. And um, it was uh, a day when things were definitely very serious. And I had spoken with a friend of mine who is a physician who had said, here are the things to look for uh, so that you will know when you are so dehydrated that it is life-threatening and you must do something. You must get yourself to an ER or you must get the call one of these. She gave me a list of private uh, IV services so that you will be okay. You know, it'll get you to, you know, to where we can treat you and take care of you. Um, I was definitely afraid to go to the ER because we knew so little at the time about, you know, how COVID was being spread. And also, given the condition that my body was in, I just didn't think, I, I felt like I was making choices between the exposure and that form of death <laughs> or death at home. <laughs> So I kept choosing, you know, the possibility of life, of course, or death, you know, maybe death at home. On the day that I started having all the symptoms that my, my doctor friend told me I could see when I, you know, was no longer, when I was at the point that was serious, you know, critical, um, I reached out to one of my other good friends who has a job that was very challenging and, you know, she was in the midst of helping her company adjust uh, staffing also associated with the lockdown. But she took time out of her day, cleaned the back of her car, donned the masks and the gloves, came and met me and tried to take me to one of these places to give me IV fluids. And they normally are done as a concierge service where they would come to your house. But this particular place, which was the first on the list that I'd called, that my friend had given, the, my friend's doctor had provided, and the first that I called, we went there and I was so dehydrated that I was a very hard stick. So the nurse who was very well trained and had worked in ERs and also works for this service stuck me several times and just could not get in to give me. IV fluids. Just couldn't do it. Tried and tried. We, I kept being cheerful, giving her pep talks, telling her, don't worry, just keep sticking me until you can get in there. She did her best. She could not get in. I was, I was that dehydrated and couldn't keep, you know, any liquids down, not even water and things like that. So after she had tried several times, she said to me and my friend, I'm sorry, 
I know this is really important to you. I just cannot help you. I cannot get in. My friend and I said, okay. We thanked her. We walked back out to the car. We sat there and cried for a bit. And uh, after that, I said, okay, take me home. You've got to get back so that you can get to work. My friend didn't want to do that. But I said, don't worry. I'll be fine. She saw me back here to my flat. And I came inside. I had another good cry. And then I decided, okay, I'm going to call the next place on the list. And I'm going to keep calling places down this list until I get someone who's going to come and give me IV fluids today. And so the second place that I called on the list, and I must have had a list of about five, I actually got a person who answered the phone. And when I explained to him what I needed, that I, I, I must have IV fluids today, and I explained, you know, the symptoms that I was having, which I won't discuss here, they're kind of gross. He said, um, I'd love to help you, but we are booked. And so I pleaded with him, and he said, well, we have someone who's in the East Bay. She's fully booked. I will call and see if she will fit you in. It may be late tonight. And I explained to him, I, I really would appreciate that. I must have IV service today, and I'm a very hard stick, so please some, send someone who can get into my veins. And so maybe, I don't know, an hour went by and he called back and said, okay, um, his nurse practitioner is going to come. And he told me how great she is. She trains other nurses on how to do this. And he said, well, she might not get there until, you know, maybe seven o'clock this evening. It might be late. It could even be as late as nine o'clock. And I said, it doesn't matter what time I will be here waiting. She arrives, she gets here at 4.30 in the afternoon, much to my surprise, and she comes in and she gets right into my left arm and I get two bags of IV fluids. Your body was probably so thankful. I mean, what strikes me, and I, and I said this when we were talking, is this is where that, that kind of effortless but gentle resilience shows up. Even hearing the story and imagining you know, you tell it like it's no big deal. So I called the next five people on the list. No, no, you, something happened in that moment that you were able to collect whatever energy you had left to look at that piece of paper, to make sense of the phone, of the numbers on there, to grab your phone and to believe that this could happen. You know, I just imagine that that's where I feel that that resilience. And then waiting, waiting an hour even to hear back if that nurse would come back. There was some waiting there. And then of course, waiting for the nurse to come. But th this is where I'm really struck by your, I like that you call it this gentle and persistent resilient energy. It's uh, I'm sure you have many examples, but this one story is such an expression of that. Wow. I, when I think back on it, Sharon, it's such an emotional, I, I have to tell it in a matter-of-fact way to some extent because there's a part of me that still, when I think about it, it's heartbreaking. But when I, what I mean by heartbreaking isn't the sad sort of heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking as in heartbreaking open. 
I'm just so grateful to be here and and to have had the person who answered the phone, who heard me, that spirit, <laughs> spirits connecting us in the same way, you know, that we were talking about spirit connecting ahead of this call and the spirit of the nurse practitioner who shows up for me and becomes the only person who I actually have contact with regular contact with during that whole period because I then go on to have regular you know I have to have this daily until they I have the appropriate interventions and it starts to be you know twice a week three times a week twice a week once a week and you know it broke my heart open but even that you the the quiet gentle persistent life energy life force light however you want to term it, that it was there for me, guided me. I'm just so grateful. Would you say that this, one might call it a life or death moment, would you say that this was another example of uh, what you spoke of earlier, of a version of not showing up, then turning into this transformation? Oh, absolutely. I think the not showing up is a habitual pattern of survival, of armoring, of contraction, of breaking down, driven by fear and anger and sadness that I couldn't meet elsewhere in my life, of dis-ease that shows up in the body, of separation. Dr. Joe Dispenser, who I started following this year, what he calls incoherence, heart incoherence, heart-mind-body incoherence, so similar to the work of the process, right? Because integration of the quadrinity is exactly that, integration of heart-mind-body-spirit, right? So emotional self, intellectual, intellectual self, body, spirit, that integration, that awareness, that presence, that coherence, connectedness, the ability to repair, the ability to regenerate. It's, uh, it's incredible. Uh, what, a, what an interesting even just in this, you know, half hour, 40 minutes that we've been speaking, how thematic that, that is in your life is this moment happens, sometimes small, sometimes big, sometimes inconsequential, sometimes very consequential. But when it happens, you turn it into a transformation. That is incredible. Sharon, you're very kind. And I will say, perhaps I, I want to imagine that we all do this. We all meet these states, just living life. Uh, this is the stuff of life. I, that's the other thing. I used to think that this was the stuff to avoid. But going back to you know a point that we were making a few moments ago, the, this stuff of life, this is the material from which we get to craft and be creative about living and experiencing life. When I look back on the process 
and the legacy of the process in my life so far. One of the key learnings for me is not to have aversion to these experiences that are repeating in my life, but to recognize them as the opportunities that they are, and perhaps to meet them with more skills each time, more more wisdom, hopefully, more knowing, and to surrender and allow. And I'm not saying surrender as a way of not being skillful, but to to not be in avoidance and to surrender and to recognize that that's where the good stuff is. Bless you. I, I know we're coming to the end of the of the interview, but I find it so amazing that here you are telling us of not not less than a year ago, right? We're talking about COVID. We're talking about less than a calendar year ago, what you went through. And I tell you, and I reflect back to you, you are something special. And you say, oh, you're very kind. I think we're all like that. I think you're not the only one. Okay, I'll take that. But I think there is something in you that is very special. Going back to the first story of um, when the driver was two minutes late, you didn't blame the driver. You looked inward. Fast forward to this life-threatening situation where, again, you look inward. And again, you call this the stuff of life. That's something very, very special. And I, I keep going back to that, that word resilience. It's, and I, I think you're, I love the way you, you both tell the story and also name it in that it's a gentle and persistent, but gentle resilience. I also think through your stories, the, these, these words, like you say, when you recognize that these are opportunities that you hope that you meet with more skills with each time that they come up. I mean, certainly seems that way. Certainly seems that way based on what you shared. So I want to thank you for letting us in, sharing this resilience, being vulnerable with us. You, um, as I keep saying, just wow, you, you stand out to me. Thank you, Sharon. I really appreciate your generosity in this interview and the ongoing generosity of the Hoffman process and the gift that it has been in my life. I think it's safe to say we can go back to your coach and say, yeah, I'm starting to show up. (laughs) You bet. (laughs) You let him know I said so. Okay. Um, Karen, thank you so much for being here and for sharing and, um, and for what I hope is a continued friendship between us. Thank you, Sharon. It's my pleasure. All right. We are signing off. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We will see you next week. Thank you for listening to our podcast. My name is Liza Ingrassi. I'm the CEO and president of Hoffman Institute Foundation. And I'm Raz Ingrassi. Hoffman teacher and founder of the Hoffman Institute Foundation. Our mission is to provide people greater access to the wisdom and power of love. In themselves, in each other, and in the world. To find out more, please go to hoffmaninstitute.org.